The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Dr. Seuss. There are thousands upon thousands of amazing, helpful books out there. My goal is to read them and share how we can implement the wisdom to improve our lives, the lives of the animals, and even help save the world. Welcome to Zoo Notable, taking wisdom from self-improvement, conservation, and animal-related books, and using them to help us become the best versions of ourselves. Whether you are an animal care professional or just a lover of nature and life, Zoo Notables helps you grow and level up your life. Welcome to another Zoo Notable, enriching our minds to better our lives. And today we're diving into a favorite book of mine from yesteryear called The Cartoon Introduction to Climate Change by Grady Klein and Joran Bauman. Joran Bauman is called the world's only stand-up economist, making the subject of economics a little easier to understand by making it funny and the topic relatable. He teamed up with Grady Klein to publish the cartoon introduction to economics in, tw in 2010, and then collaborated again for the cartoon introduction to climate change. Now, if you are confused about how to discuss climate change or what it really is, and if it's really human cause, then this is the book for you. It's packed with science, history, and yeah, even economic lessons to help explain this complex and sometimes controversial topic. The cartoon introduction is a must read for any science and environmentalist nerd. What I loved best was how completely non-controversial the author and illustrator made the subject of climate change. They provide scientific facts and research, but share it in a way that anyone, even a non-genius zookeeper turned wellness consultant like me, can understand. It's a super short book, but packed with so much science to demonstrate exactly what is going on with our climate, what greenhouse gases are, and how we're impacting these effects in our daily lives. But rather than go into the detail about these ideas, I'll encourage you to read the book yourself to learn more about that science. What I really want to focus on are the bigger picture takeaways that I got from this book. Yorm shares some really insightful ideas on how we can tackle this pressing issue of what scientists are starting to call global weirding. I can't wait to discuss some of these ideas with you and see how you can apply them to your day-to-day -day life. So let's jump right on in. Big idea number one is the not-so-positive feedback loop. And when you hear the term positive feedback loop, what image conjures in your head? Now for me, I imagine my ZooFit positive feedback loop where my healthy choices make me feel good physically, but also impact the environment in a positive manner, which makes me feel good mentally and emotionally. So I'm constantly feeling good from my healthy choices, which loop around each other and create a positive feedback loop. Now, Yoram defines feedback as a secondary effect that either amplifies or weakens some initial change. A positive feedback loop amplifies the initial change so that warming turns into more warming and cooling turns into more cooling. A negative feedback loop weakens the initial change so that warming would actually turn into a little bit less warming and cooling turns into a little bit less cooling. Now, when we apply this to the planet and what we're experiencing with climate change, it's pretty clear that we have a positive feedback loop. 
the energy and heat from the sun is rapidly melting ice and snow. Now this is problematic as snow and ice reflect the sun's energy, reflect the sun's heat. Now we want there to be a balance of energy entering our atmosphere and energy in the form of heat escaping as well. And when energy coming in exceeds energy leaving, the planet warms up. Now with less snow and ice, we have less reflection of that heat, more of the sun's energy is absorbed, so more energy is staying on Earth than is released into the atmosphere, and the warmer the planet gets. And this creates that positive feedback loop. The more energy stays on Earth due to less ice, the more ice melts with warmer temperatures. It constantly feeds upon itself, causing warmer temperatures with less reflection and more absorption, which causes more ice and snow to melt. And this, again, is the epitome definition of a positive feedback loop. But I have to say, it doesn't sound quite so positive, but we certainly can't call it a negative feedback loop, as that would refer to cooling, climate cooling from this whole process. So I think what we're actually feeling is dramatic and devastating effects of a negative cycle that just keeps perpetuating on itself. So how do we stop this cycle? Well, there are a few options. One of the options that Yoram and this book focus on is the option we seem to be adhering to, which is the business as usual model. This means that we basically ignore the science, ignore the science of a planet getting dangerously warmer, and keep on keeping on. But what's so bad about business as usual? Well, that leads us to most of our other big ideas, starting with Big idea number two, living like Americans. Imagine the world populations split into five individual people. Now, one person represents China, another person India, one other is the rest of Asia, one is the rich world, including the United States, and then that last person represents the rest of the entire world. And if we sat these five people down to dinner and made cake represent fossil fuels that we consume, the rich world would get one cake and the other four individuals would share another cake. And this means the rich world, countries like the United States, are using half of the fossil fuels and the rest of the world uses the other half. Now, I've, never, I've heard the argument before that China is so wasteful, that China isn't doing what it needs to promote environmental practices. Right now, China is the most populous country on Earth, but they are only using one quarter of the resources. Right now, this planet and our society is experiencing a bounty of economic growth. People living longer, making more money, finding success, being more educated, and having more opportunities to pursue their dreams. But with these miraculous achievements, there is a story of the environmental impact. And as our economies continue to boom and develop, the other individuals at that table can now afford to buy their own cakes. And combine this growth with the growth of the world populations, and you add another two cakes. So our consumption of fossil fuels can more than triple in the next century, which leads to a very troubling question. What's going to happen when billions of people around the world 
all have the means to live like Americans and want to pursue their own American dream. Now, if we were talking about real cake, again, this wouldn't be an issue. We can always make more cake, but we cannot make more fossil fuels or non-renewable energy. And this much energy use keeps warming the planet and melting more ice and continuing that quote-unquote negative cycle of warming the planet even more. What's frustrating is that the rich world is using current is currently using half of the fossil fuels, but because they have more money and opportunity, they aren't feeling the effects of climate change nearly as much as poorer nations or even poorer communities. Now, as Yoram writes in his chapter called Life on Earth, you can see the gap between rich and poor when you look at sea level rise. Compare, oh no, my summer home is underwater, to, oh no, my entire farm is gone. You can see the disparity looking at heat waves with air conditioning versus heat waves and still working outdoors or not having AC. Having an expensive vehicle that handles flash floods and probably future dust storms and then kind of comparing it to maybe using your tin roof as a flotation device. And with higher food prices, the rich may have to forego buying a $10 Flippiano cappuccini and the poor, but the poor are going to have to forego family meals because they can't afford a $10 bag of rice. We'll see a greater disparity with disease outbreaks, as we've seen with COVID-19, disproportionately impacting poor communities. And yes, there is a link to disease outbreaks and climate change. Quote, this impact on the poor is especially unfair since they haven't contributed nearly as, as much to the problem. Now, if we want equal rights for all humans, we have to fight for climate justice, not just equal human rights. Because without a planet, there are no dreams, there is no wealth, and there is no equality. And this is what we are facing with big idea number three, the tragedy of the commons. Quote, the idea of the tragedy of the commons goes back at least as far as Aristotle, who said, that which is common to the greatest number has the least care bestowed upon it. Now, Yoram gives a prime relatable example. He says, self-interest leads to people to pick up after their own dog in their own backyard, but lots of people don't pick up after their dog in public places. So again, you're going to have situations such as traffic congestion, overfishing, and again, pollution, in which the individual self-interest does not lead to a good outcome for the group as a whole. Now, Harvard Business Review has a slightly, slightly different definition. They say that tragedy of the commons refers to a situation in which individuals with access to a shared resource, also called a common, act in their own interest and in doing so ultimately deplete that resource. Now, this theory explains individuals' tendency to make the best decisions for their own personal situation, regardless of the negative impact they may have on others. An individual's belief that others won't act in the best interest of the group can lead them to justify their selfish behavior. When facing the use or potential overuse of a common or public good, 
Individuals may act with their own short-term best interest in mind. For instance, using an unsustainable product and disregard the harm that it could cause the environment or the general public. You might be seeing a situation we are facing here that seems eerily close to the tragedy of the commons. With COVID-19, many people acted or are still acting with their own self-interest at heart. But in doing so, such as ignoring mandates, not being careful, and again, well, not getting vaccinated for other reasons than medical, we have prolonged the impact COVID is having on our society. And also, unfortunately, the tragedy of commons often leads to that negative cycle of a positive feedback loop. Again, let's take traffic, for instance. As more people decide that roads and highways are the fastest way to travel to work, more cars end up being on the roads, ultimately slowing down traffic and polluting the air. And then we build bigger roads and more ways to get to our destination, and that cycle continues. We are seeing this more and more with climate change and, again, people's self-interest. Traveling to Hawaii is wonderful, but it does generate carbon emissions to fly there. And this is the biggest issue with the business-as-usual model of responding to our climate crisis. If we continue on this path, we have a very bleak outlook for our future as a species on this planet. Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these Notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. And all this leads us to big idea number four, postcards from the future. The cartoon introduction to climate change was written in 2014. Now, at that time, there were no extreme wildfires occurring in California or British Columbia, or even those severe fires in the Amazon or Australia. But Yoram already showed in this illustrated guide that fires and drought were very much a possible and probable future under the business-as-usual model. He says, quote, lack of snow could mean big trouble for farmers, families, and industry. He also shared a disturbing possibility in the form of potentially futuristic postcards from around the world. Quote, a global increase of 4 degrees Celsius, 7 degrees Fahrenheit, could transform the entire world. And then he shares some cute illustrations of postcards from the future. Salam from the fertile farmlands of Bangladesh. Well, there used to be farmland here. It's all underwater. Smokey the bear knows you get more forest fires when it's hot and dry. The world's deserts now even bigger and drier. Swim the Great Bear Reef. Hurry, offer ends soon. Monsoons just got monsoonier. And Siberia, the new agricultural heartland. Now, all of this reminds me of what a friend and colleague said after the smoke and air quality warnings were horribly bad in the summer of 2021. Well, it's not as bad as last year. Folks, wildfires are definitely a normal and actually a good thing. In a healthy environment, these fires promote growth and renewal. But what we are experiencing now with people losing homes, having to evacuate, and wildfires burning way more intensely than they usually have, this is not normal. 
It's extreme, and it's actually a direct result of our actions toward this planet. I was floored reading this book, again, published in 2014, that predicted the droughts that we're experiencing, the water shortages, and the wildfires could threaten farming and other vital industries that depend on the water reservoirs in mountains, from the mountain snows. These drier conditions mean fire blazing out of control. Droughts mean crops dying. Drier conditions are a result of, yup, less ice and snow that is melting due to the earth heating up and not releasing as much heat as we need them to. This is all, all connected. So what do we do with this bleak glimpse in our future? Well, that leads us to our final big idea. Number five, there is no the way to saving the planet. The cartoon introduction to climate change is not your normal environmental book. Yorm doesn't lay out an action plan and tell us, do this or die. And don't get me wrong, he is urging us to do something. But he doesn't tell you what you quote unquote should do. As he puts it, it's okay if your dream is a little different. Your way doesn't have to match everyone else's. And this reminds me of Nietzsche when he tells us, this is my way, where is yours? Thus I answered those who asked me the way. For the way, that does not exist. Now this Climate Change 101 book does provide some ideas for us to take action, but what I really appreciated about this book was not the ideas, because to be honest, they weren't actually novel, earth-shattering, mind-blowingly innovative. They were just common sense ideas, like using, less, using energy-efficient appliances, minimizing our stuff in space, conserving energy at home, Reducing, reusing, and recycling our items, thinking globally, but buying local, eating and supporting local vendors, driving safely and efficiently, and rethinking travel, driving less, not traveling great distances, and then helping with environmental campaigns and, of course, voting. Then we also have his last, his last suggestion, which is share what you learn with others. And that is the last idea is what resonated the most with me. That's actually the purpose of this book. Not to tell you what to do, but to give you the knowledge and then let you decide what to do with it. And I can't think of a better action step than sharing this book, sharing the knowledge that we can garner from Yoram and other authors and scientists, those who are doing what they can to make a difference. Because the more you know, the better you are armed with ideas to make changes to improve your life, your community, and the world around you. As Yoram closes the book with, in big and small ways, you can help write the next chapter. So there are my notes from this absolute treasure of a book, The Cartoon Introduction to Climate Change, a perfect way to learn more about what climate change is all about, and give you the mental tools to do your part to make a difference. And let's close with some inspiring and insightful quotes. Yoram says in his book, climate change is like your personality. Weather is like your mood. Now, I've never heard an explanation make so much sense before, but this is perfect. Climate is your personality, meaning your overall personality. Weather is what, how you're feeling like in that moment or in that day. Giselle Bunchen, she's a supermodel and UN Goodwill ambassador, says one thing leads to the other. Deforestation leads to climate change, which leads to ecosystem losses, which negatively impacts our livelihoods. 
It's a vicious cycle. Barack Obama, the former U.S. president, says we are the first generation to feel the effect of climate change and the last generation who can do something about it. And finally, Jane Goodall has said, what you do makes a difference, and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. that's all I've got for this wonderful book. Let me know your thoughts. What big idea resonated with you the most? And how can you incorporate that into your life starting today? And share some of your favorite books that you love to see a Zoo Notable on. A gigantic thank you to my patrons, Rochelle, Laura, Sarah, Liz, and Stephanie. Keep working on becoming the best version of yourself today, tomorrow, and forever. For you, your community, the animals, and the planet. Take care and I will see you all next time.